Dr. Trudy Fleer here with the 5G Home Recovery Podcast. Today's episode is inspired by those T-Mobile home internet speeds that are much slower than Xfinity's lickety split speeds. Speeds that slow to a crawl can leave us feeling like we have to move faster to compensate. Eh, wrong. We don't have to move faster. The internet does. Now you can move however you want. You want to move like a sloth? Do it. Be a sloth. A sloth with blazing fast Xfinity internet that you should have gotten in the first place. I hate to say I told you so, but you know. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Pastor Jones, thanks so much for joining us once again. Georgine, it is an absolute pleasure, and I uh, hope that you are doing well. It's great to talk with you, and I'm excited to talk about the meaning of Christmas because it's near and dear to my heart and, and many as well, so I'm really excited for our time together today. You know, it's interesting. Christmas has become so commercialized um, that many people don't really know the foundation of the event that we acknowledge on Christmas Day uh, they don't know the true meaning of Christmas, as the phrase would have it, because we've been distracted by so many other things. So I thought maybe we could begin at the very beginning. The first reference to the need for a Savior and God's plan and purpose in sending the Savior. Where would we? Where would be a good place to begin uh, to to look at the Christmas story? Well, of course, the Gospels and uh, Matthew and Luke give us quite a bit of detail uh, about the the birth of our Lord and Savior. You know, it's interesting also, even though it's in the Gospels and uh, with quite a bit of detail, uh, the the disciples uh, later on really did not focus so much on the birth of Christ as they did the resurrection, I mean, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because, you know, that really is the meaning of Christmas. He came to die. He came to be buried. He came to rise again from the dead. And all that he won for us on the cross and through the resurrection is really the backstory, you might say, to the meaning of Christmas. And so you cannot separate them. The disciples most certainly did not separate them. Uh, It's glorious to think that God would send his son and, uh, you know, to, to, to be amongst men. And uh, there's so much about that that just declares the heart of God to man. Because I, I really am convinced that many people don't understand the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And I think Christmas, in many ways, gives that, that message, that meaning of what God's heart is for men. Well, let me ask you a question that I think some who are outside of the faith might wonder. Is Christmas an afterthought? Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. He said what he had created was good. But then things didn't go so well. So as an afterthought, I better send a Messiah to kind of clean things up. Can you explain <laughs> uh, again the, 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 uh, the fact that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan that um, we may not ha- be aware of? Well, you are exactly correct. So it's the opposite of what the assumption was there behind that question. It's not an afterthought. It's a forethought. In other words, mm-hmm. God saw the, 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 the problem, and that's sin, right? Man's sin <clears throat> have created a separation, and uh, that, that chasm is great. You, can, you think about the holiness of God, and uh, if, I mean, the holiness of God is so amazing to ponder 
And then you contrast that to the sin of man, and the contrast between them is so stark. So how is there any hope at all for sinners to have a relationship with a holy and righteous God like that? That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma of man. And that's the dilemma of the ages. How is it possible for sinners to have a relationship to a holy, righteous God? How does that, how does that uh, happen? Well, the answer is through his Son. God sent his Son with a purpose. And that purpose is to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's talking about sinners, right? He sent his Son to go and find sinners. And once he finds those sinners, is to reconcile those sinners to himself. That's the mission and that's the message of Christmas. That's the real meaning of Christmas right there. The, the fact that Jesus was born in the condition of a, of a poor family in a manger and poverty and amongst shepherds that are you know, considered the low of the low of society, all of that shouts the message of the Christmas uh, good news, that God loves the world. God loves the world so much that he sent his only begotten son into that world of sinners to go and find those sinners and to reconcile those sinners to himself. I mean, that's the glorious message. But so many people, A, they don't understand it, and so many people have God wrong. Uh, if I could be so bold, many people have God wrong. They just think the wrong thoughts. Yeah. In fact, I want to address that because you describe God as being holy, which is another way of referring to him as perfect and sinners, all of whom all of us have fallen short. And we tend to view God as vengeful, as uh, regretting having made mankind because we are such a disappointment. But throughout Scripture, particularly through the Old Testament, which many believers have abandoned as being (laughs) irrelevant, we see a God who consistently pursues Uh, his own. He pursues Israel. He makes it clear what his heart is towards those who fall short. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because what you've just described uh, presents God in a very different light than uh, what many unbelievers and perhaps some believers uh, believe God to be. You're exactly right. Because you look at the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you, by the way. So many people, they don't see the importance or the relevance of the Old Testament But I'll tell you, it is a backdrop of tremendous importance, and you see the heart of God revealed throughout it. And what you see is over and over and over that God has not given up on sinners. In fact, what's interesting, you look at God's relationship to Israel, which really is the story of the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. and you see that, that Israel so often would turn their back on God and go after the uh, gods and the idols of the world, you know, and reject God and go their own way. God never gave up. He continually pursued them. He sent the most powerful prophets, uh, you know, to declare his love for them and to draw them back. Return, O Israel, that he might return to you, you know, and uh, the, demonstrating his power to make himself known to them and uh, the, giving them prophecies of a future hope. A, a lot of our uh, prophecies that we stand on and we, every year at Christmas, are they are Old Testament prophecies given by these prophets that God sent to wake up a slumbering Israel, 
who have gone after the ways of the world and are sinners of sinners, you know. And so, as you say, people have it misunderstood, and, uh, and it's important that we see it correctly, because if somebody misunderstands God, they're not going to respond to God correctly. Yeah. You know, for and example, best, for, go ahead. Please go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking, so many people, they think that God is angry. You, I think you mentioned mm-hmm. that before, that, uh, you know, God is holy, God is righteous, and he sees sinners in all of their sin, and he's offended by the sin, which, okay, we can understand how offensive sin is. And we think that because that sin is offensive, we think that the sinner is offensive. And therefore, God's got his uh, hand, you know, up and he's rebuffing the sinner. Get away from me. I have nothing to do with you, you know, because you're such a sinner. Many people think this is God and that God's angry with them because they've blown it. They've sinned and that he's looking for ways to, you know, bring that retribution upon them. Oh, isn't that a sad uh, conclusion? Because that's so not true. Yes, God is offended by sin, but he also wants the sinner to be set free from it. Because that sin is binding a, a sinner into a future of death. But God loves. The, the, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, John three sixteen, God loved the world so much that he sent his son. Well, that's the opposite of that whole God's angry thing. And so we really need to see what God's heart is when he sent his son. Why did Jesus uh, come? Why was he born that day? It's because the world was lost, because the world was in darkness, the world was in gloom, and the world had no hope. It was filled with sinners who had rejected God. But God loved, you know, everyone is made in the image of God. And it's just like, you know, our children, you know, our children are made in our image and we love them, even though they might be prodigals or they might, you know, reject us as parents. We still love them. And that love does not change. Well, how much more so God loves those made in his image? Mm, Amen. You made reference a few moments ago to the the prophetic, that God had made it clear through the the lineage of Israel that a Messiah was going to come, and not just for the sake of Israel, uh, they were to bring the good news to the world, but for the sake of the whole world. Can you talk a little bit about the prophetic um, uh, history in which God revealed his plan in providing a Messiah that would come and whom we celebrate at Christmas? Well, you could go all the way back to Genesis. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the sin of, of Adam and, and of Eve and, uh, you know, the, the, the curse that came because of that sin. And, uh, you know, we talked about, for example, even the, the, the curse on the serpent who was the tempter uh, to Eve. And, uh, the, you know, the curse that one would arise, right, who would strike him on his head, even though that a serpent would bite him on the heel, this coming one who would defeat and and crush the serpent on his head is even a prophecy all the way back in Genesis. But then you go to Abraham and you see there that declaration that through Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Well, we're speaking right there of the Messiah who would come forth 
from the seed of Abraham. And you look through the lineage and the prophecies, and that's the long-awaited Messiah promised to Israel. And we know his name, and that is Jesus the Messiah. When we say Jesus the Messiah, we are referring to the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, who is the long-awaited one, who will fulfill all of those prophecies. And in fact, then, I, I mentioned Genesis, I mentioned uh, uh, Abraham, and that's Genesis 12. But then also you go into some of the prophecies of Isaiah, and in fact, the scriptures that we love at Christmas, oftentimes, most of them come from Isaiah 7 and, and 9, but I particularly like to focus on Isaiah 9, because the backdrop is uh, the, the, the Israelites who have turned their back on God and and have gone to the way of uh, uh, the, 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 the idols of the world. And the result of this, the consequence of this, God says, will be devastation. I mean, armies from the north will come and will devastate. And there will be such gloom and darkness and suffering. Well, it's a picture of mankind in its entirety, rejecting God. But then he gives this hope. And if you... Don't mind, I'd like to just read Isaiah Please. 9, that, that part of it. Because he says, after speaking of that gloom and that darkness and the consequence of sin, he then declares and says, this is chapter 9 of Isaiah, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and Naphtali with contempt. He's talking about there in the north where they had rejected God, and they were going to suffer the results of all of that. But later on, he says, later on. Now, that's prophetic. He means in the latter days, when the Messiah would come, he will make that, where it was gloom and darkness, he will make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Isaiah 9. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. That's why I love candlelight services so much. Mm. Uh, you will multiply the nation. You will increase their gladness. They will be glad. See that rejoicing, that happiness of it? And uh, they will be glad like gladness of harvest when people celebrate, you know. And they will rejoice like men when they divide spoil, uh, like when you break the yoke of their burden or their staff on their shoulders, like when you break the rod of their oppressor and every boot of the booted warrior in the battle uh, and every cloak rolled in blood will be for burning. Burn it up! It will be fuel for fire in that day. And then comes, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Ah, there. Don't you love that? Yes. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom he will stand to establish it, uphold it, and from then on and from there after the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Oh, is that that powerful? That's God's answer to the gloom and the darkness and the sin and the trouble of the world. That's the true meaning of Christmas. But see, no, I love that part about the rejoicing and the gladness and uh, the light. 
see, that's that's a Christmas, right? There's Christmas carols and there's the 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 the, the lights and the rejoicing and the singing. See, all of that is a is a taste of it. Like we want a taste of heaven and, and the joy of Christmas is that the just a little taste of that prophetic fulfillment that when the Messiah comes, he will be all of these things. He will be that joy. He will be that light, that rejoicing. Sinners get to rejoice. See, this is the thing. When, when God sends his son to seek and save sinners and to re- bring those sinners to himself, well, first of all, the, the first response of a sinner who has found life ought to be rejoicing. I don't know if you remember when you first came to the Lord, uh, Georgine. How old were you, by the way, when you came to the Lord? I was actually seven years old. I was 11. And see, early days we heard the gospel, right? Yes. And, and uh, I was in church. I remember the pastor had given the invitation. In fact, I remember the song uh, that was, uh, they were singing. It was the old hymn, Just As I Am. Do you remember that? I do. Him. <laughs> I think it had like 47 verses or something like that, you <laughs> At know. At least. <laughs> and, and 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 the pastor would, you know, give an invitation between every verse, you know. And uh I mean, it just drew me. I came I, I gave my life to the Lord, but my first response was joy. Overwhelming joy. And uh I was a young man and someone gave me a Bible, you know, I was reading it on the bus. Overwhelming joy. That's the first response. And, uh, you know, for those who are listening to this, maybe you remember that first moment when you accepted the Lord and, and the joy and the zeal and, the, uh, you know, light has shined in the darkness. A sinner has been reconciled to God. Well, that's a reason to rejoice. But here's my point. God's not finished. That's not the end of the rejoicing. And, and in fact, God is just beginning to do something beautiful Yes. In the life of that sinner. And and, and I don't know how much time you, we have. Well, please here. go I, ahead. I, I want to talk about the the work of God when he takes a sinner. Because to me, this is the, you want to talk about the real meaning of Christmas? See, the real meaning of Christmas, we love the presents, we love the tree, we love the lights, we love all of that. But this has a deeper meaning. And it's all about relationship. Relationship from a sinner to God. That's the... That's the story of Christmas, how a sinner can have a relationship with the holy, righteous God. He made it possible because he sent his son not only to seek and to save, right, but to reconcile through his blood on the cross. So he really, not only was he born into darkness, but he came to die for that darkness. He came to die for that sin. And and we cannot miss the meaning of Christmas by missing that great point. He came to die. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about when I first came to faith in Christ, I, I share your testimony of joy. I was just a little girl, but I recognized at that moment that the God of the universe had given his full attention to my profession of faith, my confession of my need for a savior. And that joy was the first uh, experience I had as a follower of Jesus. And it's just such a joy to reflect back to that first day when I came to faith in Christ and my walk began. But you're absolutely right. That is, that's the beginning of a tremendous work that God does in the life of a believer. And I want to invite you to continue to talk about his purpose in calling us to himself, not just to be reconciled, although that in and of itself is more than I can, I can comprehend, but he has so much more for us along the way. 
Well, and, and Georgina, I love what you were describing there about, you know, the joy that you were experiencing when you uh, first made that decision to receive Christ into your life. You know, you were rejoicing. But, you know, I, I want us to step back and see something. God was rejoicing, too. Mm. And, and uh, you know, Jesus gave several uh, uh, pictures of that, right? The angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yes. Heaven is rejoicing when one sinner repents. And Jesus used, you know, different illustrations of that. He uh, talked about uh, a woman, you know, who lost a coin and, and uh, she, you know, swept the house and couldn't find it, you know. But then when she found it, she called on her neighbors. I found, you know, I found it, I found it. Uh, or uh, <clears throat> one who's lost a sheep, you know, will leave the 99 and go and find that one, you know. And when he finds it, he rejoices. Or the story of the prodigal son, you know, who uh, took uh, his father's uh, inheritance early and went into town, into the city and spent it all on wild living in the world. And, and then when he spent it all, and then he uh, uh, um, had, there was a famine that hit the land, couldn't even find a job, you know. Finally, he found the worst possible job a Jew could find, feeding pigs. And then he got jealous because the pigs had food he, didn't, he did not. And so he realized, my father's servants are treated better than this. I'm going home to my father. So he heads for home, and he got his speech already. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not worthy to be a son. I just need a job, right? So, but it tells us that the father sees him a long way off, runs down the road, falls on his son, hugs his son, kisses his son, and the son starts his speech, you know. Oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against your sight. I'm not worthy to be a son. And the father interrupts him. Right, bring a robe and put it on my son. Bring a ring for his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Uh, for this son of mine was dead, and his he's now alive. There's rejoicing, and I love that picture. It's all a way of illustrating the fact that God rejoices when a sinner comes to be reconciled to Himself. That's the reason that He sent His Son, because He was. God's heart is broken over the, over the condition of sin, over the lostness, over what's happening. I'll tell you, look at what's happening in the world right now. I have never seen such brokenness, mm -hmm. such lostness, such emptiness as I am seeing right now. People are melting down their lives, rejecting God. But see, we've got to see what God says about that. That breaks God's heart. But when a sinner comes to his senses, you know, like the prodigal son came to his senses. There's rejoicing in heaven. In fact, let go, let's go back to prophecy for a minute. I talked about Genesis. I talked about Abraham and Isaiah. But let's go back to when Jesus was born that day in Bethlehem. And then the angels, you know, appeared to the shepherds. I'm going to, if you don't mind, I want to read from Luke 2 just a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Where it says... Uh, he gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn, Luke 2. But in the same region there were some shield, uh, <laughs> shepherds sorry, uh, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, of course, terribly frightened of this. But the angel said to them, <clears throat> Do not be afraid. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. See, now there's that declaration of the angels. This is a reason to rejoice. That's why Christmas is about rejoicing. Because that is the, the result of God's seeing the brokenness and the darkness and the lostness and doing something about it. He's sending His Son. And the angels rejoice. We ought to rejoice. That's what Christmas is about. But then we've got to see that it, God's not done with that sinner. See, when that sinner comes to be reconciled, God's not done. There is so much more to be done. And, and I, I hope we have enough time to go into this. I, I get kind of excited. I hope it's okay. Yeah, please. I was sitting uh, at a um, dinner for pastors, and uh, it was a, a large gathering, and, and you know, you never know who you're going to sit with. And I'm sitting with this pastor I'd never met before, and uh, we're talking about our different churches and whatnot. And, you know, I'm, so I say I'm Calvary Chapel. You know, we teach uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the whole Bible. And pastor says, well, that's interesting. How many times have you taught through the Bible? And I said, oh, this is our fourth time. I said, uh, the person said, really? You, this, you've taught through the whole Bible? This is your fourth time? I go, yes. Pastor says, so what one thing have you learned? What one lesson have you learned from teaching through the Bible four times? That is an interesting question. It is. <laughs> how do you distill all of that into one thing? So how did you answer? I said, this is what I see, and I've not seen it before. I, I, I've taught through the Scriptures before. But this is, is a revelation that I, I, I guess it's always been there, I'm just now seeing it in this in the living color. And that is this, that the intent of God, of course, is to reconcile a sinner to himself. Right. But when that sinner gets reconciled to God, God then begins a beautiful work in that sinner's life. God wants to make the soul beautiful. That is the transforming, powerful work that God wants to do to make the soul of a sinner beautiful. Now, so the pastor heard that and says, um, break that down. What does that mean? I said, well, consider. Uh, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. This is the result of the Holy Spirit in your life. Isn't that the fruit of the Spirit? Correct. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, and that he's speaking of here of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The result of God in your life is love. Is that not beautiful? Yes. The result of God in your life is joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Peace. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, Jesus said. It's a peace that passes all comprehension, such as the peace that I give to you. Isn't that beautiful on the soul? Mm -hmm. That which God wants to do is beautiful. Uh, for example... When Moses, you remember the scene when Moses was uh, on the mountain with God those 40 days? He was in the presence of God so much so that the glory on his uh, presence was so abundant that there was an actual 
physical radiance on Moses, right? Now, imagine the scene. Later on, Moses is interceding for Israel because Israel had, you know, done wrongly and sinned. And so uh, Moses is interceding. Now, while he's interceding, he says, can I ask something for me? You know, personal, just for me. And so he, he says, show me your glory. I found that fascinating. So Moses, when he had the opportunity to ask for something for himself, what did he ask for? Glory. Show me your glory. Well, wait, Moses had seen more of God's glory than any living human. Why did he ask for more? Because he knew it was beautiful on the soul. God's glory is beautiful on the soul. And he wanted more of it. Show me your glory. That's a beautiful thing. You know, so then it says, Paul, Paul mentions this in, in the Second Corinthians 3, that the glory in the soul of the believer is actually a greater glory than that which was on Moses. That's what I want to talk about. I, I hated to interrupt you because there's so much of the beauty of, of what God has done for us and what you're explaining. And I think it's helpful for us to reflect on not just this singular event, which in and of itself is quite amazing when you consider the incarnation, God becoming man. Uh, but let, but continue to talk a bit about how we benefit uh, and the beauty of what God has done for us through his son. Yeah, because I think that is, you want to talk about the real meaning of Christmas? Mm -hmm. It's the relationship that God wants to have with man, with sinners. He sees the brokenness. He sees the sin and he knows that the end result of that is devastation and death. <clears throat> and he loves the sinner. And he wants to save that sinner from that death. So he sent his son, Jesus, to be born that day in Bethlehem in a manger in all the humility of sin, really, of our nature. And uh, <clears throat> to, 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 re to reconcile that sinner to himself. And he does that through the, the work of Christ. When he shed his blood on the cross, when he paid the sin for every one of the sinners, he paid for their sin. Why? Love, because of love. Mm -hmm. Love is beautiful, and it cost him dearly. Let me ask you, the, the, he, he laid his life down for us. Uh, love is the, uh, is the extension of what God has done through his son. What do I need to do to earn that love? Because we always imagine that, while we can appreciate God's love for us, there's got to be a catch that I've got to rise to a certain level in order to be the recipient of that love. It can't be as simply as simple as uh, believing in and embracing Jesus for who he is. Can you address that urge in us to earn uh, God's favor that's already been extended through his son? Well, absolutely, because, you know, you're right. A lot of people have that that conclusion, but you might compare it to this. What does a what does my child need to do to earn my love? Mm. They don't need to earn my love. They don't have to mow the lawn to get me to love them. I didn't have children so that they might mow my lawn, although I'll admit it is a nice benefit. Uh, but my point is they don't have to earn my love. They were born in my love. And they continue in that love, which I poured out on them, uh, you know, from the very beginning. They don't have to earn it anymore. They just need to be in a relationship to increase it. That's what God wants, right? He made everyone in His image. You don't earn your way. You don't earn anything. 
it, it, you know, the, the consequences of sin, the wages of sin, you want to earn something. Well, the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. Mm-hmm. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Why does he give a gift like that? Because he loves so much. And that's the Christmas story, how much he loves. So much so that he takes that sinner and he reconciles to himself. And one of the things I was just talking about before the break mm-hmm. is that he doesn't stop there. He continues to build in that sinner's life that which is beautiful, to transform that soul into that which is beautiful. The glory of God manifest in the life of a sinner, now reconciled to God, is a beautiful work. Now see, when we see that, then I, I think people can look at the, the sin in their lives quite differently. Now, when we see that God is wanting to do a beautiful work, and how glorious it is to have a beautiful soul, because God made it beautiful, that brings forth a journey of walking with God, ever increasing in glory, ever increasing in love, ever increasing in grace. Then we look at our sin, and then we say, I don't want that sin in my life. It's standing in the way of that which is beautiful. I don't want that sin in my life. It's, it's, it's ugly. It's poison. I want that which is beautiful. I want that which God is doing. See, now people are motivated to, to, to get rid of the sin in their lives, but they're motivated for the right reason. That's the gospel, in my yeah, view. Yeah, that's the gospel. How do you celebrate Christmas? How do you celebrate this great truth that God so loved the world that he sent his son uh, in order that we might be reconciled to him through his death? How do you celebrate? Well, I love celebrating with the church. Of course, we, we love our family gatherings, and they're, they're rejoicing, and they're fun, they're wonderful. But there's something glorious, you know, about, for example, the candlelight services. I love the candlelight services because that just shouts Christmas to me. What we do is we, we turn every light out in the sanctuary that we can possibly turn out, that we can experience the, the heaviness and the weight and the loneliness and the lostness of darkness. And then we light that one candle, mm. which is the picture of Jesus being the light of the world and the prophetic answer of God. And uh, then we, we share the light as the, the Lord shared the light with the disciples who then shared the light with those around them in you know, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost and began to share the gospel. And then we share the light throughout the room. We all lift it up, you know. And I love that moment. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if you have a candle, uh, a light, you don't hide it under a bushel. No, as the children's song goes. You put it on the lampstand. You lift it up. And there's that moment we, we all lift up our candles. And as soon as you do that, it's manifest in a glorious way. And then we, you know, sing glorious to the Lord, those beautiful songs that give Him so much honor this time of year. And anyway, that's what I love about Christmas right there. That's one of my most special uh, events of the whole thing, is that honor to God that He has brought such light to such darkness in the sinners like me. He deserved. He is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our recognition. We need to give Him more glory. Absolutely. You know, there's something so empty about celebrating 
Christmas if you don't know Christ. Uh, the, the culture has given us this picture of what it's all supposed to be about, and it falls so far short that it's just a disappointment we need to recover from. But when Christ is at the center, regardless of whatever else we do, there is an abiding joy that carries you not just through the season, but throughout the remainder of the year. And as we anticipate celebrating his death, burial and resurrection at Easter time, there's something so much richer and fuller um, than what uh, what our culture offers in terms of celebrating Christmas. And I would just encourage any listener who does not know Christ to seize mm-hmm. this opportunity to pursue that relationship with him. Um, let me encourage you to find a church in your neighborhood where you can come together and sing those Christmas carols, thinking about what they actually mean and the great gift that we have been given uh, by God through his son, Jesus Christ. What a great uh, what a great season this is. Oh, I uh, absolutely love Christmas because of the meaning of Christmas. I'm so glad we can talk about really the depths of it. Let's get beyond, you know, the simple things and really understand the deeper things because it is a time of deep rejoicing. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Jones, once again, thank you for joining us to talk about the real meaning of Christmas. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.